Good morning, church. My name is Jen, and we're going to be reading the Bible together. We're going to be reading from Psalm 73. So I'd love you to open your Bibles on your phones or grab a Bible at the back, pull at the back. I'd love you to follow along with me. So it's Psalm, Psalm 73. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes inequity. Their, their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, How would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care, they go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it deeply troubled it troubled me deeply till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground, you cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed? completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you, and the earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Hello everyone, uh, good to be with you this morning. My name is Scott, I'm the pastor at Trinity Church Parakeh here. Uh, well done for making it on time after having an hour less sleep and not being confused and being here at 11 o'clock. Um, I want to start today though by filling you in on some exciting news. Exciting news firstly for the kids. Kids, um, there's a prize, a couple of prizes for the best made shelters later on. So if you want to bring your shelter back over there towards the end of church, we'll get a couple of prizes for the best made shelters. And for everyone else, I want to fill you in on... Um, where we're up to with the big question stuff. Uh, in term three, we've been asking our friends this question, um, what do you think God is like? You've told us what your friends have said. And so soon in a couple of weeks, we're going to spend four weeks looking at the top four um, uh, responses to that question. And so I want to tell you what those top four responses are. Let's, let's go through them. Okay. Firstly then, uh, Sunday 15th of October, uh, God is loving, but so what? So lots of our friends said things like, God is loving, God is caring, but many weren't sure what difference that makes. So 
15th of October to start off, we'll be looking into that one. Uh, then on the 22nd of October, we're going to think about which God. Again, a lot of our friends that we spoke to talked about the gods of their religions, uh, people from Hindu backgrounds or Muslim backgrounds, Buddhist backgrounds, which leads to a question, how can you know which God, or are they just different paths to the same God? Uh, then on the 29th of October, we're going to ask, is there a God at all? And one of the common answers from our friends was, well, I don't think there's a God, so what's he like? Well, he's just not there. Or there might be people who, a lot of people who've said um, they think God is there, but they're not sure um, what he, she already is like, and they don't know how you would find out as well. So that's the kind of things we're going to be looking at on the 29th of October. And finally, on the 5th of November, our fourth Sunday, does God care? See, some of our friends struggled with the idea of what God was like because they, they see things go wrong. There's suffering in the world. There's intolerance that perhaps God is impersonal and, and, and separated from us. So... That's what we're going to dig into in the final week. Um, I encourage you, well done on asking your friends. Some of these responses have been fascinating. Um, and perhaps uh, it's, it's worth then inviting a friend along to one of these upcoming uh, Sundays. It might be a topic that really would resonate with them. I want to especially say in that second week, uh, the 22nd of October, would be a great week. We're going to do a spring barbecue that week just out the back here. Um, put some uh, food on. It might be an especially easy invite that week. Now, that's what's coming up, but you might remember we actually did something like this last year as well. Last year we asked our friends, uh, what would make God worth believing in for you? And then we got some really interesting questions, uh, really interesting responses as well. You know, God would be worth believing in if he gave us some sort of sign or if um, God did something about the suffering in the world, if he can show me he's trustworthy, if Christians acted in line with what they said. These are some of the responses we got last year. It's all very interesting, but behind that question... There's a doubt, isn't there? A doubt that God is worth believing in. Perhaps listening to him and following him is not best for us. Maybe you're here today and you're not on board with all this God stuff. And, and, and part of the reason is this. You just don't think following God would be really worth it in your life. But this can be a question that even believers wrestle with. Um, have you ever played this game with yourself where you think, if, if I wasn't a Christian, what would life be like for me? Now imagine, imagine what it would be like to have Sunday mornings free. Imagine what it would be like if I weren't giving to church. Imagine where my bank account would be. Imagine what it would be like being so much easier to fit in with other people if I didn't have to worry about what God said. Imagine how free I'd feel without the restraint of Christian morality. I could indulge in that sin. And I wouldn't have to be concerned with what God thinks. Have you ever played a game like that internally in your mind with yourself? What would life be like if I wasn't a, if I wasn't a believer? Really, it's, it's, there's a doubt there. Is it actually good for me to follow God? Is Jesus worth it in the end? That's the kind of question that Psalm 73 is wrestling with. Jen just read it out for us. The Psalms are like a songbook. They're a songbook for God's ancient people, the nation of Israel. These are the songs that they would sing. There's a huge variety of songs of worship and sadness and joy, all sorts of things. But in this song, in this Psalm, of Psalm 73, it's written by a guy named Asaph. He was a, like a musician, probably a singer. 
He was around when, when David was the king in Israel. So we're probably talking about 3,000 or so years ago. And that's the question Asaph is asking. Is God really worth it? He starts in verse 1 by saying something that's true, something that's not controversial. Everyone in the nation of Israel would agree with this. Just have a look at what he says. Verse 1. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. And at the time, all the Israelites who heard this would have said, yes, and amen. And Asaph says, yes, it's true. Surely this is true. But Asaph says, but that's not what I'm experiencing. That's not what I'm seeing. In fact, as I look around the world, I actually see wicked people getting ahead. It's like God is being good to them instead of those who are pure in heart. Let me read again from verse 1. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I'd nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Asaph looks around and instead of seeing God being good to the pure in heart, he sees the wicked prospering in the world. The wicked getting everything. And it shouldn't be like this. God's supposed to be good to the pure. So what is going on here? As I said before, the Psalms, are, they're a collection of songs. Uh, and the first two Psalms in this collection, Psalms 1 and 2, they really set the agenda for the whole book of Psalms. They give us the key ideas we need to understand the rest of the songs that are in this collection. So let me go back now and read then the first two verses of Psalm 1. This is how the book of Psalm, the whole collection starts. Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. See there, who, who's the blessed one? Who's the happy one? Who's the one who's favoured by God? It's not the wicked person, is it? According to Psalm 1, it's the person who delights in God's law. It's the one who's devoted to God. Asaph, he knows this. Which is why he's asking the question then in Psalm 73. Why am I seeing the wicked get ahead then? Why are they being blessed? Why do they get all the good stuff? Because that is what he's seeing. Look at verse 4. It's talking about the wicked people. And he says, verse 4, They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from common human burdens. They're not plagued by human ills. These, wicked, these people are wicked, but they're living it up. They got the good life. And make no mistake, these people are wicked. Just, just look at some of the words that used to describe them in verses 6 to 8. They're proud. They're violent, calloused, evil, scoffers, malicious, arrogant, oppressive. We might use different words today, words like uh, unjust or cruel. Um, but make no mistake, what this is, is wickedness. It is not right. And yet these are the people that are getting the blessed life. And other people look on and they've noticed. Others are listening to what the wicked people are saying. So look at verse 10. Therefore people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. It's like they're the gurus that everyone's going to to get advice, to, 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 to look to them as examples of, of how to live life. 
And so Asaph concludes all this as pretty pessimistic in verse 12. He says, This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care, they go on amassing wealth. It's important just to pause here and be clear about what Asaph is saying. He's not saying that either you, on the one hand, you're godly and struggling, or, on the other hand, you're wicked and prospering. That, that's not it. It's not, you fit in one, one, it's not that you fit in either of those categories. He's, the, he's asking a question, though. His question is, if someone is right, if devotion to God is the blessed life, if God is good to the pure in heart, then, then why are any wicked people prospering at all? And if wicked people are prospering, then is it even worth following God at all? So he says, verse 13, Surely in vain I've kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. You see what he's saying? It's like he's saying, my devotion to God, it seems like it's nearly pointless here. Maybe I should just give up. Perhaps you're here today and that's been your question at one point or another you've you've been devoted to god you've been living hard for jesus even when it's been tricky even when it's meant hard decisions at some point you look around and you wonder what's the point other people are getting a better deal in life than me other people are getting ahead and she wouldn't it be nice to have what they have to have good health, their own home, paid off, more leisure time to relax and unwind. Perhaps the whole God thing really isn't for me after all. And friends, there's a truth to this. So often in life we see questionable people getting ahead. It's not just true back in Asaph's day, it's true today still. Think of the mega wealthy. People like um, Jeff Bezos, the guy who runs Amazon, or Elon Musk, who's um, famous for being with Tesla and, and Twitter. Even in, in our own country, in Australia, um, people like Clive Palmer or Gina Reinhart, these big mining magnates. Many of these kind of people, these mega-rich, they're not very popular with the regular Australian folk. They're seen as caring more about profits than people, seen as self-interested, often embroiled in legal battles because they've done questionable things, shady business dealings, family disputes. There's, there, there's failings and, and self-interest here. And yet they're the ones who get ahead, who amass the wealth, who live seemingly Live the good life. And that's what Asaph's seeing all around him. And so he's questioning everything. Is it really worth me following God? Perhaps you've been there too. You wondered whether being a believer is worth it at all. Anyone here seen um, the movie The Karate Kid? Hands up. Number of That was really popular. Uh, um, if you haven't seen that, let me give you the, the basic storyline here. Uh, there's this kid here on that side, Daniel. 
he's 17 when he and his mum moved from New York to California, right? So the other side of the country. And now he's in a new place. He knows no one. And at school, a gang of bullies start kind of ganging up on him. And one night, they actually they, they get him. They beat him up. But he gets saved by the janitor from his apartment block, this guy who comes along out of nowhere and he beats up the bullies because he knows karate. That's the guy on the other side there. Mr. Miyagi is his name. So Daniel asks him, you've got to teach me karate too so I can defend myself. It takes a bit of back and forth. Eventually, Mr. Miyagi agrees. But when Daniel starts training with Mr. Miyagi, all he does, Mr. Miyagi just gives him all these household chores to do, things like polishing his car. And he teaches him, Wax on, wax off. Wax on, wax off. So Daniel does all these things for a while, but eventually he becomes really frustrated. Uh, uh, All I'm doing are these chores for you, the things you don't want to do. It's not worth it. I'm not learning anything. These are just the things that you don't want to do. And then Mr. Miyagi knows it's time. And he shows him then what all this has been about. So he tries to do a karate chop to, to Daniel, but Daniel does the wax on movement. And he realizes, ah, It's not about wax on, wax off, is it? He's been learning karate all along. He's been learning the right muscle memory to know karate. It was Daniel's light bulb moment. Bang, the lie went on, and it all suddenly made sense. And so he kept trusting Mr. Miyagi and these strange training methods. Went to the competition, and he beat his bullies in the big karate competition. And fun movie. Excellent. If you haven't seen it, worth worth a flick. Here in Psalm 73, Asaph is about to have his light bulb moment. The time when the light just goes bang and he gets it. See, at the moment, he's probably feeling down. He's wondering if he's been doing the right thing in life, wondering if God has been worth it at all. And this day, probably he's out there, he's wandering the streets. You can imagine his head is hung low. But as he's wandering, he comes past the tabernacle. Now, the tabernacle is the place where the ancient Israelites would go to worship God, to pray, that kind of thing. And so this day, he's wandering the streets. He comes to the tabernacle and he says, I'm going to go in. So he walks in the tabernacle and bang, the light bulb goes on for Asaph. And in an instant, it all makes sense. So take a look again at verse 16. He says, when I tried to understand all this, how the wicked are getting ahead, when I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply till I entered the sanctuary of God. And in an instant, his questioning ends because at that moment, he realizes God is good to his people. The light bulb goes on and the questioning stops. Asaph realizes God is good. To his people. And in the rest of this song, this psalm, Asaph kind of he gives two big reasons why. Reasons why he's now confident that following God is worth it, that God is good to his people. And the first one there, he realizes there is great loss in life without God. If you ha- if you don't have God in life, there's actually great loss to that. Because where does life without God end? Let me read again from verse 16. Asaph pens this. Here's what he says. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly they're destroyed. 
completely swept away by terrors. See what the Bible is saying here? Without God, life ends in ruin, in destruction. It might be prosperity and comfort now, but it won't stay that way forever. The Bible, it talks about a day when we're all going to stand before God and have to give an account for our lives to God, an account for every careless word we've spoken, every moment where we've uh, just decided it's better to serve myself than look out for what's good for others. We're going to have to give account for every insulting thought we've had about another person. And if we haven't done business with God here, if we haven't sought forgiveness through Jesus in this life, then it won't go well for us when we meet God face to face. Are you someone who remembers your dreams? I'm not. I'm not really. I reckon I can count on one hand the amount of dreams I can properly remember. I do remember having a dream last night, though. It involves something about donuts and dancing but i don't know anything more than that it's just odd right but i think we all have, have you had this moment right where you um you you wake up and you remember a dream really vividly and, and then you you know five seconds later you try and think about it again but it's gone you, you it's just a try as you might to remember what you what your dream was you just cannot remember it at all it's impossible that's what verse 20 says life is like with those prosperous but wicked people verse 20 they're like a dream when one awakes when you arise lord you'll despise them as fantasies it might seem like these wicked prosperous people have everything now and that 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 they'll be the great ones that are remembered in years years to come but it won't jesus will return their riches will not save them at that point And they'll be forgotten, just like that dream that you can't remember after you wake up. So here's what Asaph's saying. If you have life now without God, it actually ends up in great loss for you. Even even if things are great now, no matter how good things are now, it ends up in great loss. Asaph's talking here about not being short-sighted. It's so easy to live as this life is all there is, isn't it? You know, in my head, if I'm honest with you, I still think of myself as a 20-year-old. I'm still young, so much time ahead of me. I look in the mirror in the morning and I realize actually, there's a lot of gray hairs there now, isn't there? And if I do that, you can see how far the hairline goes back and all the rest as well. I get on the scales now and I realize I really shouldn't try and eat like I was what I did when I was 20. Um, but still in my head, I'm in my 20s. It's just that the reality is that I'm getting older. And this life will not last forever. So then what? Asaph's reminding us, isn't he? Don't be short-sighted. See, being devoted to God, following Jesus, friends, it is worth it. Because if we don't have God, well, it's going to end in great loss for us. Life without God ends in great loss. But life with God has great gain. And that's the second reason why Asaph says God is good to his people, because life with God has great gain. So just look at these reasons. In verse 24, Asaph talks about God taking him into glory. In verse 25, he talks about heaven. It's the opposite here of life without God. 
Life without God means great loss, but life with God means there's life beyond just the here and now into glory, into eternity. And not, not something as boring or some vague existence in the clouds, but life as it was meant to be, the full and rich life. But there's more. Life with God is not just good for our future. It's also better for the now. So look at verse 23. Asaph's singing to God and he says, Yet I'm always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. You see, now in this life, God is with us. He guides us. He's present and near to us. Look again at verse 28. Asaph says, but as for me, it's good to be near God. Actually, in verse 26, have a look at verse 26 there. Uh, God is described as Asaph's portion, his portion. That God is the thing he treasures most. That the relationship, the friendship that Asaph has with God, that's the highest thing that anyone could have in this life. It's his portion. So look at how Asaph finishes his conclusion in verse 27. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it's good to be near God. I've made the sovereign Lord my shelter, my refuge. I'll tell of all your deeds. What's the point here? God is good to his people. Life with God has great gain. That was true for Asaph 3,000 years ago. And it's something that we today can be even more certain about. We can be even more certain about this because we live on the other side of Jesus. See, this psalm here, in a sense, it's really not true about Jesus at all, is it? Because Jesus was the one who was truly pure in heart. And yet at the end of his life, he was treated like the wicked. On the cross, he was destroyed. He was swept away by terrors. But he did it so we don't have to. Jesus did it so we can be forgiven for the wrong we've done, for our wickedness. That's the, the, the promise of this psalm, friends, the promise to you of God's goodness, that promise is written in the blood of Jesus. It is sure and certain. For if while we were still sinners, well, if while we were on the outer with God, if at that moment God saved us, then how much more, now that we are saved, will God give us all good things along with Christ? The promise of God's goodness to us is written in the blood of Jesus. There's a sense in which this psalm is ultimately true of Jesus too. Because Jesus is the one who was first and truly taken into glory. That when he was raised on the third day, he was raised never to see death again. And that he is the one who is now near God. In fact, at God's very right hand. Friends, you can be certain that God is good to his people. And that following Jesus is totally and absolutely worth it. And this changes things for us. It must change things for us, friends. Just a few quick ideas now how this, uh, knowing this psalm changes things for us. If we know this psalm, it means that when that question pops into our head, is, is God really worth it? It means that when our minds start playing that game, imagine what life would be like if I wasn't following Jesus. 
It means that when these things happen, we recognize it for what it is. It's just not true, right? It's a temptation. It's our sinful desire kicking in. It's Satan's way of trying to lure us away from Jesus. It's not true. And so when that thought comes into our head, we push the thought right back out again. We make a decision not to indulge in that kind of thinking. Because we know following Jesus is absolutely worth it. God is good to his people. Knowing this psalm changes us because it means we need to take the long view of life. We take the long view of things. Let let me give you an example here of what I mean. Um, uh, Let me take the example of giving giving at church. If you give at church, that might stop you from ever going on a nice overseas holiday. And there is loss in that. If you're short-sighted, at least. Actually, if you take the long view, it changes things. You, re- you may begin to realize the great gain in your giving to something like church. Because your giving actually helped run the life course. And that's where someone new became a Christian and they now have an eternity to look forward to. Or your giving, it freed up, say, Ada over here. Now she was able to spend time with someone and pastorally care for them as they were going through rough patch in life. And as a result, they stuck with God rather than giving up on Jesus and they stick into eternity forever. You see, it could be any number of things here. But knowing Psalm 73, it changed us because it means we take the long view with money, with time, with everything. The long view, the eternal view of things. But knowing this psalm also changes us because when we feel the cost, when we feel the sacrifices of following Jesus, and when those things weigh heavy on us, and if you haven't felt that yet, friends, it'll come at some point. The life of following Jesus does mean sacrifice. And when we feel the cost, well, knowing this psalm means we won't run from Jesus. We won't run from Jesus hoping we'll find something better because we're now convinced there is nothing better than Jesus. Instead of running from Jesus, we run to Jesus. Because he's our portion in life, our great treasure, the thing that we value and love most of all. Our flesh and our hearts may fail, but God is the strength of our hearts. He is our portion forever. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for this psalm. We thank you for the refreshment that it brings to our lives. You are good to us. Life with you is great. It has great gain. And we just wanted to pray that we be those who know this. Please remind us of this psalm when things go bad for us. When we look around and when we question whether following you is worth it. Please remind us of your goodness. Please remind us to be long to take the long view of things. Please remind us what temptation is doing. Please help us flee to Jesus, not away from him. Thank you that you are the strength of our hearts and our portion forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.